Welcome to 21st Century Women, the podcast that celebrates fabulous women doing interesting things. Each month, Jenna Watts explores different topics with the help of women who are high achievers in their field. They chat without judgment, learn from each other, and have a good laugh along the way. And now, here's Jenna. Welcome back to 21st Century Women, where we talk to fabulous women doing fabulous things. And we have another fabulous woman joining us today. Liz Dawes founded the Robert Connor Dawes Foundation after her son passed away from brain cancer in 2013. Six years on, she has grown the charity to be the biggest paediatric brain cancer foundation in Australia, moving hearts and minds to raise millions for paediatric brain cancer research and patient care in just six years. The Robert Connor Dawes Foundation has created the largest event for paediatric brain cancer in Australia, Connor's Run, and she has brought world-leading research technology to Australia with the AIM Brain Project. So, so grateful to have you here. Thanks, Liz. Welcome to 21st Century Women. Thank you for inviting me. Now, Liz, there's so much I want to talk about, and it's it does feel like a raw and very sensitive topic, and it is, but you, when I got here and I walk in and we've got banana bread and beautiful tea and of course that makes me feel warm and fuzzy but even if it wasn't here the vibe that you give is just so genuine and warm and just beautiful I just want to set the tone for people listening because it's pretty unique and you just give this warmth so thank you for that to start with Liz Inspired by the eternal strength your son proved, you created the Robert Connor Dawes Foundation as a tribute to him and other brain tumour fighters, and you've dedicated yourself to doing good. What has the past six years looked like? And yeah, tell us a bit about that. I mean, that's it's it's been a busy six years. It's been a very, very busy six years, and I do better busy. I'm happiest when I've got too much going on, frankly, so that that has been a blessing. Uh, But looking back, it's been a huge learning curve in so many ways, Um, just about what we're doing, about starting a foundation. I I had never worked for a not-for-profit before, Um, and, and losing our son, and just what what would that mean for us? It was so frightening, of course, when he was diagnosed. Uh, but now, looking back, there have been the most amazing things that have happened. It's been, it's been, losing Connor has been the worst thing, of course, that will ever happen to me. But having had that happen, the way it's changed me has been profound. And I am very grateful. You spoke beforehand, before we hit record, about his spirit. What's his spirit done to you and his eternal strength? And there's another word. Is it Latin or something that yes, you talk about? Yes, Iternum Fortis. So Connor was a keen lover of Latin. And when he was going to be in year 12, but that was all cut short by a brain tumor, uh, he was one of three boys at Brighton Grammar that was going to study Latin. So when he, uh, the, the boys at school wanted to do a fundraiser for him, and we brainstormed and came up with that phrase. It means eternal strength. When I think about Connor's spirit, there are, well, there's probably two things that just quickly come to mind. One is how strong it is. I feel him very, very strongly. 
and not not in a bad way, in a good way. I feel that it has almost sort of seeped through me the essence of who I believe he was. And, and you know, I'll be honest, he was not an easy teenager. I don't know <laughs> if there are any easy teenagers, uh, but he was a very unique individual, a very strong in his own mind about things he believed in. He was philosophical, but he was interesting. He loved to read. He loved math. He was a very good student, didn't want to try hard, which drove me crazy. <laughs> um, and the second thing, and maybe they're connected, is how much energy I have for what I'm doing. I, I, I naturally do have energy, but my focus is laser-like, mm. and my energy seems limitless. I wake up in the morning and think six years. Has this, has this been enough? Have we done enough? Have I done enough? No, I know I haven't done enough, but I, I don't feel that way. I wait, I wake up renewed and motivated and energized. And I can only thank my son's energy for that. You say, I love what I do. I hate why I'm doing it. And these two would conflict one another, surely, at times. Does it happen often? Yes. Sometimes I almost have to hesitate and pause and go, well, just pause to reflect on that I love what I'm I do. It, it's motivating. It's fun. The events we have are great. The people I'm working with are amazing. The progress we're actually now starting to have feels so rewarding. And then I have to stop and go, all this is because Connor lost his life. Mm-hmm. So he sacrificed his life through no choice of his own. But then when I think of that, I think, okay, that's good. Something so positive has come out of something so horrific and negative that they almost do go hand in hand, and it's good. How did Connor deal with this when he found out? I mean, for a 16, 17-year-old boy, that's really confronting. It was confronting. There were We had some serious conversations. We, we had about five days between... Uh, from when he was diagnosed until he had a surgery. And those, looking back, were really special times. After his surgery, he lost his short-term memory. He lost his right-side movement. He lost a big part of who he was, but then a big part of who he was stayed within him. So it was a different journey because he he had a brain injury mm-hmm. and a serious one after his after his brain surgery. Um, so how did he deal with it? He was philosophical. I think, I think if we're really honest, he was sad. Mm. He was looking forward to his life. He had things he wanted to do. He wasn't sure exactly. I don't think anyone at 18 really (laughs) can look out into the future and have a crystal ball, but he loved his friends. He loved to travel. He loved experiences. Uh, I think he was sad. Mm. And I think he was worried about us, his family, his friends. So he was pretty amazing that way too, where he showered us in love. He he would say, his, his sister would say, mom, 
all Connor can say to me is, I love you. I, and and I said, yes, Hannah, he's giving you a lifetime of mm. I love yous. Mm. And he would do similar with me and his brother and his mm. dad. He was so good to us. And I feel that was incredibly kind. What was your relationship with, with Connor like? Um, often a yin and a yang. <laughs> I'm a get up and go and, you know... I'm ready for anything. And he was pretty chilled and relaxed. He would question me a lot. (laughs) He had a very unique viewpoint on things. And he, he would, I, I, I think I probably disappointed him. I probably wasn't able to engage in the kind of philosophical rigor discussion that, that he would have wanted, but he believed that I could, which I always, uh, was, I said, Connor, you know, I thank you for believing that I will be able to have this sort of a discussion <laughs> with you, but I would try my best. But so what was he, you know, again, I was the, the having to kind of breathe. Somebody told me early on, children are like fires. Some, some you've got to douse with a bit of water to keep them under control. Others you've got to breathe a little air into to get, to get them going. <laughs> and Connor often was that one. Mm. That's sweet. What was his relationship like with his brother and sister? Oh, uh, great. Mm. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm the youngest of three. I have two older brothers, and I've got the same family, two boys, and our daughter's our youngest. And my brothers growing up, I remember having that sibling rivalry and Mm. not getting along. They even Mm. went to different high schools so they could both excel in their own sports at their respective schools and I was so worried when Nick, number two, came, was a boy. And I thought, oh, I'm going to have to deal with all this fighting and not getting along. And it was completely different. Wow. Connor adored Nick. Mm. He just loved him. And I used to say when he was little, Connor, you've got to have some friends over. Let's set up a play date. <laughs> you know, when he was five or six, very important to be social. And he was like, no, I don't need to. I've got Nick here. Oh, I don't so need funny. to play with anyone else. Um, so they really had a beautiful relationship. And I'm grateful for that mm. because I think oftentimes when kids are siblings, when they're young, they, they might sort out their relationship when they're a bit older. Mm. But I'm I'm glad for Nick's sake and for Hannah that they've got great memories. How did Hannah and Nick deal with things when did, when Connor did pass away? Um, I think well, this is another part of the learning curve: is everybody grieves differently, mm. and you have to be respectful. And I've had to learn that that the way my husband, his friends, everybody's relationship with Connor was their relationship so their his death and how they're coping with it is also what they're going through so you know I think we're all doing as well as we possibly can I think we're all on the same page that Connor was we felt incredible and worth celebrating and I think they love how much work I put into this Mm -hmm. and they're always there to support me doing it but their again how their relationship with their brother and death and that's another part of it is you continue to have a relationship with somebody it sounds maybe a bit weird but you do mm. you you talk to them you question with them you wonder uh, and that relationship the longer the person's been gone 
that changes too, but it, it's still quite it's still quite strong. But they were when Connor was diagnosed, they were fifteen and thirteen. Yep. So those are really impressionable mm. years, and I both of them when we would get news. Uh, about what was going on with Connor. And we always wanted to be optimistic and hopeful that his outcome would be a good one. But as time went on and we realized it wasn't going to be, I was really honest with both of them. And I would talk to them separately, either in the car, walking our dogs. Um, and we would just have a quiet conversation about what was happening. And I would say, I just want to tell you what we're hearing. I want you to hear everything. This isn't easy. So in a way that was helping me come to terms with it, being able to talk to them. But I hope they felt that we weren't trying to hold anything back, that we were all in this together. Um, and I still feel very much that Connor is a, a big cohesive component to our family. Through your experience, Liz, going through something so significant, you need to rally and stay together. But when you are going through something like this, it would be so hard to stay together as a unit, as a family. How did you guys do it? Oh, see, I feel like it would have been so much worse if we had fragmented and splintered apart. And yes, I suppose you, you know, that often does happen and you read about it happening. And I know those statistics are there, but in, in my situation or our family's situation, we already had something terrible mm. happen. Mm. And I think that was enough emotional energy. You know, we just had to support each other. In a way, that energy felt better than finding fault. It, it was similar to, uh, remember some of the doctors that were treating Connor said, thank you for uh, just supporting us through what we're doing with your mm. son. And, and I was sort of taken aback well, why, why wouldn't I support you? Mm. I, I suppose sometimes, you know, shoot the messenger yeah. when families are hearing terrible news and you don't know how to handle it because it's so foreign to your ears. Sometimes not, you know, wishing these medical professionals could be miracle workers. You know, why can't they wave their magic wand and fix what's wrong? And I suppose I knew that 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 wasn't going to be happening. And from our family standpoint, um, Stronger Together definitely has worked for us. And also in respect to Connor, you know, we were very much together for him as well. And that has luckily has stayed since he's left us. Fearless is a mindset and not for everybody. <laughs> I mean, people want to be fearless but it is a really hard mindset to get to can you help us out Liz I mean I feel <laughs> well, like you're first the pin-up all, I am this. don't I have I am not fearless mm. but I practice trying to be mm. so I think that's important too that I am as afraid as anybody mm. but I am I, I don't know if the word's embracing, but I'm I'm willing to face those challenges eyes wide open. And it has been easier to do that. There's a lovely story. I was left a bouquet of flowers on our doorstep with an anonymous note that said, Be fearless, Liz. 
just a few weeks before Connor died when people were dropping off food and flowers and gifts and and somebody thought that was the message I needed to hear and it stopped me in my tracks Mm. and I think about that so often and I think somebody was telling me that I had to be strong and just that anonymous message gave me something within to say yes they're right I do and I can but again, it's it's a work in progress. It's not. It's like life, you know. Some days are better than other days. Sometimes it's easier, but it's always there. Um, I I know that I want to have a happy life. Mm. I want to have a good life, and because something horrible has happened, yes, it's it's. I again, I wish it wasn't, but it's reality, and I've also become maybe I've become philosophical myself as time's (laughs) gone on but there are things we can control and things we can't and I think for the things that we can't like an illness somebody dying accidents happening things happen life happens I feel that uh back to the you know the being fearless is just understanding that and and knowing what I can do uh, for the things I can control it's it's really how I'm putting those in my mind in a way that I can live with that that can be the healthiest uh, philosophy attitude for me how do you be fearless and strong whilst also processing you know processing is important do you agree? Um, yeah. And I, I think from the beginning, uh, I mean, it was a week after Connor died when somebody suggested we have an event. And I thought, why do we need to have an event? And this, it was a teacher at our son's school. He said, because there's this outpouring of love for your family. And maybe he thought it might be good for you to just focus your energy on something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. It's a pro- grieving is a process. Going through all this has been a process, but it's been productive. Mm. Uh, and I came, you know, I had said productive grieving, and I'm cautious when I say that to know that not everybody wants to be productive. Yeah. But in my case, being productive was very, very helpful. Let's speak about that first run. A week after Connor's death, you went and how did you put on this? I mean, I've read a little bit about it, but I just thought, I'll just check because it doesn't sound right. It's been, uh, for those... Within a week. (laughs) For those of you listening, Connor's run this year, we had six years, this was our seventh year. We had over 5,000 participants and raised $1.2 million. And if way back when, if somebody had said, is this what the event will become? I would have said, yes, I hope so. Mm. But we... I had no event planning experience in this area, but I'm good at asking questions and I'm good at finding people who are good at what they do. So we found people who were good um, in events management. The first three years, we did everything on our own. We just asked advice for people, Mm. from people. Um, But Connor ran. It's a true story that he ran from our house in the Bayside suburbs to the Melbourne boat sheds. And that resonated with people. And he ran two months before he was diagnosed. He hated running. Mm. So we wanted to be very real 
there's no keeping score, no keeping times. This isn't about racing. This is about feeling awesome. I love that. Um, and so we just, I asked people I know who are very good at doing, I think for anybody, again, listening, that's a, into schools, you know the parents who put on all the events. So I went to those parents <laughs> and said, will you come and help me? And luckily they said yes. They're called the Originals. There's seven of them, and they're still with us. And wow. And have been joined by about 20 others. It's a wow. big committee now. Uh, but that's just part of what we do. Mm. But but obviously a beautiful, beautiful part. Um, but it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. Liz, you also have a very powerful and practical tools that you use. And I want to ask a couple of questions about them, mostly because I would love some advice in this space. But use them every day. Reframing reimagining and reaffirming tell us a bit about these so somebody asked well i'm often asked how are you doing what you're doing and i think about the simon cynic why and i know Great. why Talk. yes i know <laughs> why i'm doing what i'm doing it's it's for my son it's to create a legacy for him it's to celebrate him it's to do real good for other families going through pediatric brain cancer uh, in his name. So how, how am I? And so I've really had to reflect and I've come up with those three words and just very quickly reframing is how I, uh, take something and, and, and look at it differently so I can live with it. So a quick example, our son, uh, his friends, when he was diagnosed, were going through VCE, they were going to formals, they were getting their driver's license. Our son, Connor, none of those things were going to be happening. A few months earlier, he was right going down that path. And I started to feel resentful and jealous of his friends. And I hated feeling that way. Mm. And I realized that if I kept feeling that way, we were going to lose them. Mm. That we were, we were going to alienate them from our lives when actually I wanted them in our lives. So I reframe that to realize that we couldn't control that, that what had happened to Connor was, uh, it was, um, a, obviously a, an event that was not related to his friends, but they were also being affected. The reimagine is my favorite. It's the magic of, of life. And I like to say to lean into the magic because people are amazing. People are generous and kind way more than is what is reported. Um, and if, and I feed off of that. So one idea going to another idea, uh, a building block to take us to somewhere incredible. Um, so that reimagining is been a lot of fun. Um, and I could go into all sorts of examples of that. Uh, the last, the reaffirming is the committing. When Connor was going through treatment, he had yoga as part of that treatment, and his yoga teacher led him through an affirmation, and she said, today, Connor, we're, you're going to think of an I will, and you can end it any way you want. And he, without hesitating, just a few months before he died, said, I will be awesome. <laughs> and I love that and we incorporate that into our run people can write their own i wills oh, I love um, that. and finish them any way they want but 
Connor taught me a powerful lesson of conviction. And I think about when they say people are passionate about something. I believe if you're passionate, you are willing then to back that up. If you're passionate, you're willing to put the time into something. And that commitment, I have made a commitment while I'm living to help change the odds for other children, young people going through brain cancer. And I live that commitment. It's, it's part of me now. But that is how we're going to make success. So I'm, I'm taking situations that might not look great at face value, and I'm reframing those into a way I can deal with it. I'm reimagining how our events can be different, unique, fun, engaging, and I'm reaffirming every single day how we're going to do this and, and living it. There are three that I want to start applying in my life, Liz, and I'm sure people listening want to as well. But what I start to struggle with is how do you take a step back and do this? I mean, you're a very wise woman, obviously, but when there's so much emotion and sometimes you're so involved and, and this you know, perspective is something that you do talk about and, and, that's, and that's so relevant within all of this. But how do you get the perspective? How do you sit back and go, how do you do all, all of these things? How do you reframe, reimagine and reaffirm when you're kind of caught in a bubble? How do you step back? I, I'll go back to sometimes life throws you curveballs, gives you lemons. I mean, we had no choice. So when Connor, when I was helping him through his illness, I wasn't really even looking towards the future. I actually wasn't. I was living every single day with him. And then when he died, I thought, now what? Mm. I was looking at my whole life in front of me. And my children, my living children, my husband, how were we going to make sense of something so senseless? And I can't tell you that that, I woke up one morning and it dawned on me. No. Mm. But this is why I'll go back to how... It's that letting my mind go, could we do an event? Would people come? Why would they come? How can we make it unique? Is that going to help me feel better? Is it going to help other families that are going through brain cancer engage? So just letting these thoughts uh, sort of percolate. And then on on the other hand, if this negative track starts coming in, you know, am I really going to cure brain cancer? Am I really in my lifetime? I mean, if I was really honest, probably not. And that's huge. Mm. Am I, I'm spending every day, all day working on something that I'm actually not sure I'm going to help make a difference. But if I wasn't here working this hard, well, then there'd be no hope. There are so many people across the world that have are working hard, that have lost a child, that are similar to our family. And together, we are chipping away at something that's really, really complicated. So I think you just, you can't look at the enormity of things. You've got to just let things flow as they're happening. But I do like to take the high road versus the low road. I I don't do well if I'm woes me, feeling sorry for myself. I don't function well. I don't like to hear if I if I start hearing it, whether I'm actually saying it out loud or I'm hearing it inside my mind. Um, 
And also, again, having, having Connor's brother and sister. I, I remember when Connor was really unwell, and Hannah said, I'm only scared when you're scared. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, I'm only worried when you're worried. And I thought, right, okay, Mom, you better keep your shit together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because you've got other people relying on you. Mm. And I think about that, too, and that, that has been probably a big part of it. And also Connor's legacy. He would, I, from the very beginning, he would not want us to have had what happened to him ruin our lives. Mm. And, and I think that's also, these sort of things stick with you and then you just again you just kind of have to roll with it but keep rolling what about in a marriage how do you what are some things you can do in your marriage i mean marriage is hard you know any day of the week on any circumstance potentially but to throw something like this in there it's extreme it is but interesting when my husband is a very He's a wonderful, wonderful person, and he's very kind, and he's very even-keeled, and I'm sort of all over the place. I'm out in front doing everything, everything, and he's sort of behind the scenes, very calm and cool, and lets me, you know, do what I do, which is great. But after Connor's surgery, he, and we had been married, I mean, we've been married 28 years, and at the time it was, you know, 20-some years when Connor had been diagnosed, and after Connor's surgery, if he had lived, he was going to be severely handicapped. Mm-hmm. He was. And I, you know, he was 17, 18. I'm already thinking, okay, at what stage is he going to get out and be independent and how many mm-hmm. years until that happens? And I said to my husband, Scott, what if Connor always has to live with us? And Scott looked at me and said, well, then he'll always live with us mm-hmm. in a way that was just so accepting and so okay that I thought, yes, right, okay. Um, And it reminded me, I kept thinking about that when Connor was unwell, I was reminded why I had fallen in love with him in the first place. Mm. And I think you have to give each other space to deal with this the way you need to deal with it Mm -hmm. and respect how your partner is dealing with it. Mm -hmm. It won't be the way you're dealing with it for sure. But then you have to find ways to come together. So I I like to, I don't want to say commemorate the day Connor died. We always do something really beautiful. Um, His birthday, we try to do something significant. So those are the elephants in the room. I'm willing to say we need to have a plan. We need to get through those days because they're not easy. And my husband's good enough to say, yes, good. I'm glad you're you're making this happen because it, it, it will be good for all of us. Yeah. 13th of September, 2020 is the Connors Run. And you can also head to the website and donate. What are some other events that you guys are putting on that people can get involved with? Or- we have our Go Gray in May. We love Go Gray, Go Gray in May. We're having a lot of fun with that. And it's not related to your hair color. Gray, the... <laughs> Uh, color for brain cancer, your gray matter. That's where that came up with. And so during the month of May, we encourage people to go gray their way. Uh, we get engage a lot of high schools across Australia and putting on uh, gray, they have gray days where they put on comfy gray trackies and hoodies. And that's become great. It's become the most comfortable day of the year. <laughs> um, Connor loved quizzes, games, we encourage, we have a 
great initiative we've done with um, Deloitte called Bird Brain. It's an online trivia game. So we encourage people to get behind that. They can get their work involved. So that's really, and the run launches the end of April. So it's a great way to kick off the run and kind of head into our season. <laughs> uh, so that's that's been, uh, you know, really a fantastic part of what we do. But we've got a lot of merchandise that people love that we sell. We've got an annual Christmas market in our home <laughs> that's happening on the 5th of December and anybody's it's available to anybody who wants to come and see an old-fashioned you know christmas market in somebody's home and it's really beautiful um so we have that happening we've it's it's good we've got in the u.s we also have our foundation in the u.s and every year we have a rowing event our son loved connor loved to row he had wanted to row at either Stanford or Wisconsin, and we've got this great virtual event, which started with those two schools, but now it's open to any school, and they do a, a virtual on an erg. Uh, um, oh. So it's the stationary rowing, which is not fun, but it's a <laughs> 100K in a relay format. So uh, that's happening that's in February. Amazing. Liz, do you have a book you can recommend? Oh, a book. Well, that has nothing to do with brain cancer. Isn't that nice? <laughs> I do like to take a break from it. And I think that's only <laughs> helping. Um, I love to read. And um, when Connor was unwell, I, you know, it was probably years that I actually couldn't digest a book. I think about that too. The emotional, you know, what happens when you're just dealing with something that's so much bigger. You, It was hard to really take reading on board. Mm. Uh, but I luckily have been back at my reading and I'm currently reading Educated by Tara Westover. So uh, for your listeners who are keen readers, they may have read it because it's been a very popular book. And it's all about a, a gal from Idaho who's raised by very religious parents who don't believe in anything uh, led by the government, including school. So, uh, you know, I say she was homeschooled, but she wasn't really. She was her own school, obviously very bright, and uh, I'm about halfway through. But it just goes to show you how, uh, what learning, the power mm. of learning, and how it can really set you free. Mm. So it's that's been a great book. And you have a little poster note in front of you with a quote on it, and I'm so excited to hear what's on it. <laughs> Tell me okay. what your quote is. You can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. I love that. By C.S. Lewis. And I thought that was very apropos because, you know, the other saying today is the first day of the rest of your life. And I believe that. And you have to hold true to the things that are important to you. And in our my case, it's it's being creative and being positive and being helpful and trying to make a difference for our son. And I'm just trying to do that the best way I can, just like we're all muddling through, I'm muddling through too. Well, you definitely are nailing it, Liz, so um, credit to you. And credit to Hannah for her amazing banana bread. It's delicious. <laughs> thank <laughs> you. Is I'm, I'm sure I'll make sure she listens and can <laughs> hear you thank her. Thank you for your time and everything that you do. And I'm sure, um, you know, can't wait to see the next six years of the Robert Connor Foundation. Thank you, Jenna. 
You've been listening to 21st Century Women podcast with Jenna Watts. To hear more stories about fabulous women doing interesting things, you can subscribe to the 21st Century Women podcast via iTunes or Spotify. If you'd like to leave a comment, you can post a review on iTunes or at jennawatts.com.au slash podcast. On the website, you can also check out the latest blog posts and notes on each podcast. Until next time.